2: This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.co.uk. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, we'd like to encourage anyone looking for help with their digital marketing to get in touch with Site Visibility. Whether you have a burning digital marketing question, or you're looking for an agency to work with, they'd love to hear from you. Give them a call, plus 44-1273-733-433, or fill out the form at sitevisibility.co.uk slash contact. Alternatively, you can talk to either Scott or Sean via the live chat function on the site. They'd be more than happy to help. Now, today I'm joined by Andy Houston, Product Director at CrimTan in Brighton. Andy, how you doing?
3: I'm very well, Andy. How are you?
2: I'm very, very well. And uh, you're another Brighton person, aren't you? So, again, I could probably just use a megaphone or a long piece of hose with a funnel at both ends to do this. Yeah. But we're using Skype.
3: Yeah, we are. We are using Skype. uh, So it feels so I could be somewhere completely different. Um, But, you know, in terms of the weather in Brighton, which you seem to talk about on a lot of your podcasts. Oh, yes. you you already know, so, you
2: know, I can Yeah, but our listeners I- don't know. Um, we've had a, a period of, of, of a little bit of disruptive weather, a bit of wind and rain, a little bit cooler, but recently it's got a bit warmer again. So we're now in the sort of low 20s. Last week we were in sort of the high teens, but we're, we're away from the heat wave we had in the summer. I'm not sure if we're going to get quite to the heat wave again. But that's the meteorological um, uh, sort of summary for Brighton for the last couple of weeks. But let's, uh, more interestingly, let's move on to you and what you're doing at CrimTan.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, I mean, I'm here to talk about uh, a new dawn in programmatic display advertising. Mm. But I think before I dive in, um, it's probably quite a good idea to... Talk about actually what programmatic display advertising is.
2: yeah, definitely because that's quite a grand um, sort of title.
3: <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, if you don't use programmatic display advertising, um, as as a format it's, it's it's everywhere around you. So you know on your day to day move between home and office, you' you're probably seeing more and more digital display boards in stations uh, across cities, maybe in taxis. Certainly on browsers, when you access the internet, you'll be seeing banners there, videos um, on social networks. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the likes of Facebook and Instagram, you'll be, you'll be seeing more and more ads, you know, sort of there. And on apps, uh, on mobile, you know, there is elements of advertising, you know, sort of there. So there are lots of different types of uh, digital display. Mm. And the world seems to be moving towards uh, greater digitization in, you know, advertising. Um, so, uh, with these multiple formats, you know, sort of, there is lots of different types of content, uh, you know, sort of that you might be displaying. And I guess underlying this, these formats that you see on a day-to-day basis is a very complex supply chain, which links back to advertisers who want to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time. Yeah. And this is, this is what programmatic display is. So um, it uses all these formats, but the supply chain also uses um, a lot of data to uh, try and make the decision and try and make the messages as relevant as possible to anyone who's looking at it. Mm so that is you know uh, what programmatic display is and it and it uses thousands and thousands of data signals some some are related to you know an id or a or or a user that you know might be looking at it at any one time uh, but some might not so you know uh, there are Lots of very obvious data signals, time-based, weather-based, you know, uh, I, I, I know that's a favorite of yours, Andy, that, you know, can, 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 can potentially be used to sell umbrellas or, you know, suntan motion. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, uh, programmatic display is a very broad term that encompasses um, the ability to be able to do this. Uh, now, Crimtan, uh, we're a global company, so we've got offices in the UK, in um, in Central Europe, in uh, Singapore, in Japan and Sydney. Mm. And and we support advertisers uh, to use this very complex uh, programmatic supply chain. And our ultimate objective is to help them grow their overall customer lifetime value. Now, customer lifetime value, we'll, we'll talk about in a bit more detail later, but I mean, it's not a new thing. And for any of the marketers who are listening to this at the moment, it's about, you know, how do I find new customers, prospect them to conversion? Uh, and then ultimately grow lifetime value by re-engaging them at the right time, at the right place, uh, you know, so to potentially get them to come back um, and engage with us more. So that's what our core objective is. And uh, I've, I've personally been in the digital space for over 20 years at Crimtan um, as product director. I look at developing the direction and strategy and trying to make this very complex supply chain very simple for everyone to use and benefit from. Mm. Uh, and try and deliver great value to our clients uh, through any of the products and services that we release. Before this role, uh, I was Chief Commercial Officer at Larsen Jennings, which is the modern Swiss-made watch brand. I was at Venda, which was the world's largest on-demand e-commerce provider, uh, was bought by Oracle Suite in 2016. Uh, so there I supported the launch and optimized lots of online propositions for the likes of Jimmy Choo, TK Maxx and Urban Outfitters. So uh, lots of retailers in that space. Prior to Vendor, um, I was on uh, the founding team of a d- designer fashion site called Kudos. Uh, the assets were bought by Netaporter and trading today as the Outnet. Um, and before that, I was a spe- specialist omni-channel consultant um, at a company called Javelin Group, which was recently bought by Accenture
4: yeah.
3: and helped shape digital strategies uh, for quite a few of the FTSE 100 brands. And as well as running operational and commercial due diligence for uh, venture capitalists and private equity firms that were looking to buy into digital businesses, uh, you know, um, at very, very high growth and early stages. And then finally, prior to that, I was part of um, the initial team at Tesco.com, um, selling groceries online and faxing orders down to stores. So. I've been around in and around for a bit. And I think, you know, with the increase of digitization mentioned above, um, one of the things that, you know, sort of has really come to light this year is the impact of the new legislation called the General Data Protection Regulation. Um, I am sure everyone who is based within the EU or the EEA, the European Economic Area, will be very well aware of this. Mm. But it's fundamentally changing the way in which this programmatic display supply chain is being executed.
2: Well, I want to talk about that because, I mean, you've basically given us uh, – by the way, a very. it sounds like an audio CV. I was very impressed by your your list of, <laughs> your list of roles. Give me an idea, actually. I should do audio CVs. Anyway, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about it because you, you gave us this lovely sort of 100,000-foot uh, view um, – of what programmatic display advertising is, I love I love that term. By the way, being a being a sort of geek, I love anything that's automated. I just really like. But I wanted to talk about GDPR, which I can never get in the right order. Standing of course for General Data Protection Regulation and a few other things. But I'm just wondering. I'd say a good thing to do is let's let's start with a quick summary of of what it is and how it's affecting, well specifically programmatic display advertising.
3: Okay, so. The GDPR, uh, I mean, we call it the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. It replaced the Data Protection Act of, of actually 1995. So there's been a number of privacy directives that have been released between now and 1995. But this really was the first piece of legislation that was looking to replace that. And I guess, you know, just to give an idea of, you know, how things have changed, Actually, July 1995 was uh, the month that Amazon sold their first book online. So, uh, you know, the Internet and the Internet of Things has changed quite dramatically since then. So, uh, you know, there was a real need to, I think, update, you know, the way in which data is used, because, you know, as well as uh, the Internet changing dramatically, actually, the types of data that were available, Uh, has also changed dramatically. And, you know, I think the spirit of the legislation was to try and increase the transparency to users within the European economic area. And, Mm. And I use the European economic area because... Uh, actually, um, the legislation impacts uh, Norway, Liechtenstein, and Iceland too, uh, mm. even though they're not part of the EU. Mm. And uh, you know, the spirit of the legislation was to try and increase the transparency to the data subjects about how their data and what data was used by companies based within uh, the EEA. And I mentioned the EEA because that refers to the European Economic Area, which actually includes Liechtenstein, Norway, and Iceland that aren't part of the EU. But the replacement of this Data Protection Act actually meant that, you know, sort of it was time to move away from personal identifiable information and start talking about this whole concept of personal personal data. Now, why does it uh, impact programmatic display advertising? Well, programmatic display advertising uh, does rely on this whole concept of online identifiers. And online identifiers... Fall within the scope of GDPR, which is why, uh, as an industry, um, anyone working with pro- within programmatic display advertising needed to take note. Mm so uh it was looking at personal data and um you know everyone would have read um about you know these large fines for non-compliance so for four percent of global turnover or 20 million euros whichever one's higher Mm. i mean it's worth noting by the way for 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 anyone that's listening that actually you know that that fine for non-compliance you know would only occur after a complaint or a notification and a full audit by your local data protection authority so Mm. in the uk that's the ico or the information commissioner's office um but basically gdpr identified um legal means for all businesses for processing data now uh, the actual legislation uh, identified six four uh, were not really relevant to uh program programmatic display advertising but the two that were were this concept of legitimate interest so using data for objectives that are aligned with the end consumer. So, you know, a really good example of this would be that uh, a charity might be collecting data in order to inform those people that were interested in the charity if, uh, you know, a particular donation or a particular opportunity came up to donate. You know, you could argue that, uh, you know, there is, there is complete alignment between the business and uh, the actual uh, end data subject or, or user. Um, And then the other one, really, uh, which is the majority of programmatic advertisers have adopted is consent. So actually asking the user up front whether or not they can use this data for the purposes of relevant advertising. So, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are web-based. Uh, you might have noticed a significant increase in the number of pop-ups appearing yes. on sites asking for that type of permission.
2: We use cookies. It's interesting because it says, um, we use cookies, blah, 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 to track you, even if you go into space. Um, do you accept and you can actually a lot of the time you can click no I don't and the website just carries on anyway
3: <laughs> yeah I know I know and that is a that is a fundamental challenge you know sort of that that the business is facing is that much of the consent management i.e. the request for consent is, is not actually linked with how cookies then you know sort of behave on the site and certainly one of the one of the solutions that we've come up with for our clients is is we've actually built a consent management platform that enables them to be able to capture consent and then based on that consent only drop the tracking or the cookies that the user has opted in for mm. But yes, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's lots of these things around. And this is all about trying to gather consent. And actually, because uh, of the way that they've been set up, the opt in consent has actually been around 80%. So you know, in terms of the impact on the programmatic display, advertising network, everyone, I think, thought it would be a bit of an Armageddon. But um, actually, you know, so sort of users uh, either uh, are still confused or uh, you know or are just not bothered about some of the elements that you know of data that are captured by programmatic agencies uh, for the purposes of delivering relevant advertising but I guess you know that was uh, really the the core legal means that a programmatic advertiser you know uh, can have for processing this personal data and really you know the only relevant bit of personal data or there are a few but you know the really relevant ones that are used within programmatic advertising are this bit whole concept of online identifier which is stored within a cookie and also uh, IP addresses um, which are considered uh, you know a way of being able to triangulate to you know a specific user in a a specific place
2: yeah yeah
3: Um, and then the final bit was around supporting the rights of individuals so back to uh, the spirit of the legislation in trying to deliver transparency It was all about, uh, you know, giving a user the right to access, to correct, uh, the right to be forgotten or erase personal data that might be stored by a business, the right to object if a business was storing data and they didn't want to and it was being done wrongly. And then the right to be notified if any of the data uh, that is stored is breached or compromised. And businesses were legally obliged to hire or or promote data protection officers within uh, their organization uh, to support this and then overall data procedures. So, broadly, GDPR was really about personal privacy first and asking permission for use of data.
4: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: So just remind us, how long now has GDPR, I have to say that very slowly, been around? And what's the, what's the fallout been so far?
3: Uh, well, I mean, it's a good question. And I think uh, the GDPR was officially implemented on the 25th of May, uh, 2018, mm. so this year, so a few months back. Um, and I think, you know, the fallout has been interesting. Um, I don't think it's been an Armageddon to the use of personal data and you know the interpretation has been quite broad and wide so you know there is some good guidance on a number of the data protection authorities websites such as you know ICO Um, But, you know, I think uh, the legal industry has probably had quite a good time um, with, you know, being able to interpret that uh, and decide, you know, sort of what position each business, you know, sort of is going to take. I mean, I think, you know, globally, businesses are beginning to realize that any activity with any data subject within the EEA actually does mean that they have to understand what GDPR is Uh, you know, I mean, classic examples are travel businesses. So travel, travel businesses that are looking to target, you know, users within that EEA region, uh, are going to have to make sure that they support the rights of the individuals and have a legal means for processing. Mm. Uh, Similarly, retail businesses that are looking to, uh, you know, sell products or services uh, into the EEA, uh, they're also going to have to have an understanding of what GDPR means. So although, you know, privacy outside the EEA uh, has been less directly affected by GDPR. You know, there are definite signs that privacy laws are toughening up everywhere. So uh, there is um, something that is very current, and that is uh, that uh, there was a connection between GDPR and the US Privacy Shield. But the Civil uh, Liberties Committee within the EU are suggesting that the US Privacy Shield is not adequate, and that connection might be severed Unless the U.S. becomes compliant uh, mm-hmm. within September, now you know that's got fantastic impacts for you know any 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 U.S. business trying to trying to actually work and transfer data within the EU and then transfer data outside the EU, and I think because GDPR you know has been on the press quite a lot certainly for you know the last twelve months, you know. In Australia, recent statistics are showing that 80% of Australians don't like being tracked without knowing it. So clearly something's going to happen there. And, I, you know, I don't want to bring it up in this conversation was related to programmatic display advertising, but Brexit does also have its, in, its implications because there are question marks over the UK's ability to meet the EU's adequacy test under data privacy. So, yeah. so you know, I think, I think, you know, GDPR was a reset button um, and I think we're going to begin to see... The beginnings yeah. of, of of much tougher privacy legislation um, across the world, I mean within the EA there are a few things of note I'm sure that you might notice more transparency in announcements around data breaches so mm you know, if any of you follow any of the business news, you know, it seems like there are more and more announcements about, uh, you know, potential personal data being breached by, you know, some sort of hackers. Yeah. Um, and that is a direct result of a company being legally obliged to report to their DPA, in this case in the UK and in, in ICO, a data breach within 72 hours. So, you know, I think, I think that's a really positive thing. There's been some analysis around third party tracking cookies on new sites and actually within the UK you know the amount of third-party tracking cookies has dropped quite dramatically so by 45 Mm. percent so you know clearly um, you know sort of that has had a dramatic impact on you know sort of being able to follow users and content optimization. So a lot of websites, uh, use, uh, third party systems to try and optimize content, whether that be words or products, you know, you might like, if you bought this, you also bought this or recently viewed items. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, sort of actually there's been a massive cull there. So, you know, sort 20, 27% of, or a 27% reduction in the number of cookies storing, you know, personal data to try and optimize content. So I think, you know, there has been a significant, you know, impact, but, you know, it really is, you know, sort of just, just the start. And I do think that for those who tried to uh, embrace the spirit of the legislation, there has certainly, uh, you know, they, they might feel a little bit aggrieved about uh, some of the quite grey interpretation adopted by many, uh, you know, organisations across the EEA. Mm. I mean, I think in my industry, this very complex programmatic supply chain has probably become more complex. You know, there are certain big uh, supply side providers you know, uh, and uh, I'm not going to name you know them all, but you know, sort of, they are very, very well known, high valued, um, you know, tech players that that are you know, sort of, actually carving out new fiefdoms, a bit like the Game of Thrones. Um, you know, sort of about getting consent for people that they work with and not getting consent for you know, sort of people that they don't work with. So. I think you know hidden hidden beneath you know something that everyone would have seen which was that you know consumer facing email farce where everyone was asking for valid consent so mm. I'm sure you've received hundreds and hundreds of emails about that
2: Quite a few Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> there are there are there there are millions of bits of paper being you know sort of transferred between organizations to clarify their relationships whether they're data controllers or data processors under GDPR uh joint controllers sub processors Um, you know, uh, getting ready, you know, to wave at, you know, the data protection authorities in case of the dreaded audit.
2: Mm. Well, Andy, it's been really interesting. So we talked about uh, GDPR. Uh, We've talked about uh, what it means, what the fallout has been. We're going to do a part two because we're at uh, at about 20 minutes already, if that's all right with you, Andy. And we're going to talk in part two, we're going to talk about some future legislation that may have been overlooked possibly. And I also want to talk about something that you mentioned um, a little while ago, which is uh, uh, customer lifetime value and how that can be used as a sort of safeguard against the demise of the the tracking cookie. So look forward to part two. Andy, thanks so much for for joining us. And thanks for listening, everyone. The show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.co.uk slash impodcast. Um, If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. We talked about reviews a few episodes ago and how important they are. So the more reviews, the better. Be honest. Hopefully they're good. Um, Questions and suggestions go to podcasts at sitevisibility.co.uk. You can tweet at Site Visibility. We have a Site Visibility group on LinkedIn. That's all from me, this Andy. And it's all from the other Andy so far until part two.
3: Well, thanks very much for um, uh, listening out and um, looking forward to uh, talking a little bit more about new legislation and the challenges that we will face in
2: part two. Thanks, Andy. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing.